You nervous, Cubby? Owl Nation, stand up. All or Nothing Podcast, Tuesday, March 23rd. Chris Lynn. I'm Jay Terriano. Welcome. And Ken Sweeten's here. Hey, guys. Ken's got the headset again. Two weeks in a row. Two podcasts in a row. Yeah, I'm glad to be on board. I enjoy this. We do, too. We do, too. Thoroughly enjoy it. I think we have a good relationship between the three of us. We have some good conversation. Good back and forth. Yeah. I mean, that's what they really come for is to listen to me talk to you guys, hear the answer you guys give. No. Okay. Okay, I know it. I'm sure that's why they... <laughs> Ken, how, what a weekend this weekend, huh? Weather-wise, record-wise, too. The 5-1 and one Southern Connecticut softball team. That's awesome. Took 3-4 of four against LeMoyne. Uh, perfect weather, great great performance on the diamond, and they're, they're off and rolling. We're Spring off to a great start. Yeah, great start so far. Were either of you guys rocking shorts because it was nice weather out? I didn't have shorts. I had the short sleeves on, though. Okay. Got Probably some sunburn. He was down to the T-shirt. He was down to the T-shirt on March, going on March 20th, 21st. I like that. That's awesome. Just happy for the program. Hot start. Let's keep it rolling. Let's keep it rolling. It'll be good to get our other programs out there going, too. This weekend we got coming up, we have baseball and softball and lacrosse this yep. coming weekend. Yep. So that'll be great to have them going. Let's keep it rolling. Wins, wins, and more wins. Did you watch That's what any, it's about. Uh, any basketball? I didn't. I've been watching a lot of softball this weekend. Yeah? Didn't catch any hoops. Not any? Not really. Maybe a, a little bit here and there. I crazy, watched a, I crazy watched, weekend of college hoops. Yeah. I watched a lot of it, actually. I learned a lot about some of these teams, too, because, you know, you don't see them a lot during the regular season, especially the way this year went, but I thought it was really interesting, some of these teams. I mean, like, I know Loyola's always pretty good. Interesting fact I did not know about Loyola. There's a uh, a report or a statistic that comes out, and they, they label the top eight teams in the country right before the, the tournament time. And I don't mm-hmm. remember the name of the report, but of the top eight teams, four of them were given the number one seeds. Three of them were given number two seeds, and the eighth team was Loyola. So they're not really the Cinderella story we think they are. They were supposed to be in the top eight teams anyway. Hmm. Did you know that? Interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. Oral Roberts, right? Yeah. 15. And then Q's. Good for Syracuse. Jim Beheim. How about his son? That's awesome. Yeah. I didn't really, I, I thought his kid was just there to like, his son's on the team. So I'm the coach. You could be my kid. I didn't realize his kid played like that. Pretty good. He can shoot the it's ball. Pretty good. How about the bracket stats, though? I mean, ESPN reported something like 14 million brackets were, were filled out this year, and there's less than 100 that are still perfect. Right. Illinois going down has a lot to do with that. Yeah, North Texas, right? Yeah. So that's crazy. And even still, I mean, Oral Roberts and some of those schools losing early on was, was a little bit crazy. So, you know. so we have a fantastic guest here today. Again. again. <laughs> we'll get into the backstory in a minute. We have a fantastic guest again. Head men's soccer coach, Tom Lang. Coach Lang, welcome again. Yeah, thanks, Chris. It's a pleasure to be here again. (laughs) (laughs) For those of you who don't know, I had previously appeared on the podcast here. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, we really are a little bit challenged with the equipment. And evidently, the engineer running the board is... uh, 
struggling a little bit to get things into proper we, files. We've done, and uh, We've done 22 podcasts to date. One of the 22 was was corrupted and that was the last one that we recorded two weeks ago well maybe because it was so good you know that that's that's the reason that uh you know you didn't want it out there because it's gonna set the standard for everybody else to follow we'll go with that we'll it's go going with that. downhill today though i I'm feel, I feel that right good. now it's, i feel good about that it's not going to be as good as the first time around it's never as good it's We're the unreleased though. podcast but yeah. I'm, I'm we're happy to have you First ballot Hall of Famer, yeah, two-time national champion, Coach Lang. Welcome to the program. As a coach, two-time national championship champion as a coach. Yep. I believe you're the only person who have won a D2 title as a player and a coach. Right. Is that correct, Coach? Well, to the best of my knowledge, again, if our crack statistician <laughs> behind the board over here does accurate research, then uh, we would know. But, yeah, I was fortunate enough uh, back in the day – before anybody in this room was a glint in somebody's eye, we uh, had the good fortune of winning the 1974 National Championship at Adelphi as a player. And then I uh, had the good fortune of uh, coaching two national championship teams here at Southern. So I do believe I am the only one to win a national championship at the Division Two level as a player and as a coach. Now, you, I mean, we know you won one at Adelphi, but you went to, I mean, you were in the Final Four. Were you not there all four years? Or three or four years? No, three three out of the four years. Uh, my senior year, we'd actually gone Division One uh, in my senior year, and we lost in the first round of the NCAA tournament that year. So I okay. participated in four NCAA tournaments, went to three Final Fours, and uh, unfortunately that final year, the senior year, that one still kind of sticks with me a little bit. So how did it work then? I mean, you said you just said you went Division One. Was that a – like back then schools could – choose what division they wanted to be in in certain sports or did all of Adelphi go division one? Yeah, it was very different than what it is now. I mean, you just kind of declared what division you were going to compete in. And, uh, you know, Delphi at that time had some schools competing in division two. Some programs were in division one. Uh, there wasn't really any real clear cut classification at that time. They didn't go division one, two or three. They used to say university division or college division. And, uh, if you were university division, then that was the equivalent of Division One, and I think college division was the equivalent of Division Two. So, um, you know, yeah, very strange. I mean, in, in those days I played, uh, you know, big-time schools like Penn State and, and things like that, but then we also played in the playoffs. We played Springfield and Babson College, hmm. which would be equitable these days to Division Three schools. So right. very, very different format, very, very different environment. Um, but, yeah, so that's... Uh, that's what it was like back in the good old days. When you play Adelphi now, does it does it mean a little something extra when you beat them? Those games, or is it just another game? Well, the I think we're still working on. I think we're still working on the beating them part. <laughs> I, I, I don't know uh, how how we've done with that over the last few years. We've had some great games with them, but um, you know they're they're a top tier program now. They've they've got all the resources to be successful, and you know while we're very competitive with them. Um, I don't, you know, we've tied them a couple of times. I don't think we've beaten them in, in, in a few years, in the last few years. So it's always a special meaning. Anytime you play your alma mater, I still have great affection for the place. And there's actually people working there still that, you know, I knew either as uh, student athletes back in the day or were fellow uh, athletes back in the day that are now working in different capacities there. So um, I go back there, you know, a number of times over the years for different events and, uh, yeah, I have great uh, great fondness for the institution, but 
obviously, uh, you know, my loyalties are here, and I want to want to beat them every time we play. Let's talk about the uh, your national championships. I mean, that's huge. I mean, we uh, for the for the better part of the '80s and '90s, Southern was the soccer school, not Division One or Division. We were like the soccer school of the country, and you were a you were a giant part of that. What was that like? What were the national championships like? What was it like to get there? What were the teams like? Just Fill our listeners in. I mean, I know it's a lot of information, but just uh, try to fill us in the best you can about what that experience was like. Uh, it's, you know, it's like any athletic experience that you have when you're winning and things are going really well. It's it's the best. And to be able to get to that point and, and do it with a group of guys and, and achieve that ultimate goal of winning the national championship, only one team can win it. So when you're that team, it's really, really special. It's something that stays with you forever you know we alluded before to my winning a national championship as a player still the memories from that season playing with those guys some of those guys are still you know some of my friends today and teammates and you know when you get back together for different events there's stories that you share and it's just so much fun and it's uh, something that stays with you forever same thing with the national championship teams here at southern you know those those stories, those memories, some of the games that you've played, uh, you know, you think back one year we played Southampton, we had to go to four overtimes to get to the final four and then winning a national championship in overtime against Fort Lewis. And, you know, those are things that for the kids that are just special memories that they treasure forever. And, and I think I've heard you say that the, those two obviously were huge, but that those weren't your best teams. You had you had a team that you thought was a little bit better than those two teams, right? Yeah. I on kinda, paper. Yeah, on paper, I kind of felt like the... Uh, the 2000 team that we had uh, would have been one to, you know, hopefully do a three-peat and win a third national championship, but uh, wasn't to be. We had a couple of players that left to go and play in the uh, African Nations Cup Challenge matches and missed our preseason in a few few games at the beginning of the season, and that kind of cost us at the end, and the selection committee didn't see fit to put the two-time defending national champions <laughs> into the Crazy. tournament. Uh Mm. When we only lost our out of our final eleven games, we only lost one game, and but that game came back to hurt us. So, still a little bit of uh, angst when I think <laughs> yeah, about that. You can hear it in your voice. Yeah, that's not one that sits so well. So, Ken, where did you go to college? New Hampshire College, which is now Southern New Hampshire University. So, you had the pleasure of being a student athlete when Southern men's soccer came into town. Yeah, it was an event. What was it, it, yeah. it was an event. Like it, it was something where you know they, everybody talked about it for a week. We knew it was coming. And you would talk about it at the at whatever game you were at. Oh, Southern's going to be here in two weeks. I mean, they used to roll in beer trucks for for this. It, it was <laughs> there was no question about it. It was a huge thing. Everybody went to the games. the The field was situated kind of in, in next to the student center, and and one end zone um, were apartments on campus. People used to fill their, <laughs> they used to fill their couches up with adult beverages okay. and carry their couches out onto the field, <laughs> and then they lined the the and I mean, I mean they were a foot away from from the end line going right. all the way around the field in their couches and everything and when you just rode the other the other team that's awesome yeah some great memories from playing up there. Uh. They must have done away with the end zone, though, because uh, there wasn't an end zone on the soccer field, as I remember it, Ken, but I understood what you were trying to allude to. I'm referring it facility-wise. Yeah, and, and well, just, you uh, know, that would be at the end line, like you said, down by line. one goal you're, is where they put uh, all the uh, the couches. Uh, the end zone would have been difficult to, to, 
to, to have an end zone on right. that field. Correct. But we'll let that go. You we'll let correct. it slide. <laughs> so you know, you haven't had a good couple of weeks, have you? You know, you screwed up the last one up. And I'm going to wear it. some difficulties here now today. But I'm going to wear it. You'll I'll get wear through this. it. You'll get through it. We're all there for you when you need us. Just keep grinding away. So, Coach, who are some of the key players on the national championship teams that, you know, ascended you guys to, to hoist the championship trophy? Well, I mean, we had we were fortunate that we had really good players and we had great depth at every position. But, you know, key guys would have to be a softer guy who's in the current uh, Hall of Fame here at Southern. Uh, he was a real leader in the midfield. Uh, Paula Yuga um, was another tremendous player. He was one of the players that ended up having to go and play and represent uh, Kenya in okay. the African Nations Cup in 2000 when we didn't make the tournament. But he was around in, you know, those years that we did win it. And uh, he was one of the most talented players to come out of Southern. And uh, Billy Gotti in the goal. You don't go very far unless you have a great goalkeeper. And one year we had Billy Gotti in the goal. And then another year we had Andrew Esposito as a freshman that won it. Um, so we've been fortunate to have great players uh you know, different positions, but those were some key individuals that helped us win. Okay. One thing that I always find amazing about Southern soccer, well, first of all, I, I, there's two things I think are amazing, is anytime you tell somebody, even now, so we're, you know, 20 years removed from from winning our last national championship in soccer, or thereabouts, and you still tell somebody, hey, I work at Southern, or I went to Southern, and the first thing they'll say to you is, oh, their soccer program, it's amazing. They're like, that's something that everybody knows, that that's what we're on the map for, athletically, is is Southern men's soccer, and you played a huge part in that, along with, you know, obviously, Coach DeCraney and, and Coach Reed, and the one thing I've, I, I also am always amazed at is the coaching tree that we have here at Southern. I mean, anytime we play a school, I always look at their coaching staff, for whatever reason, especially in men's soccer, just because I find it, I say comical, but interesting how many coaches have either played here, coached here, or had some sort of affiliation with Southern Connecticut men's soccer. What is that like for you, somebody who, you're the head coach here, you're somebody that's maybe sent people to coach, or sent, like, what is that like? Well, you know, it's a double-edged sword, to be honest. Uh, I think part of a head coach's responsibility is to develop assistant coaches and to help them move on and and become head coaches in in their own right and, and hopefully have a successful career. Um, so I feel like that's very important. And part of my philosophy is to allow my assistant coaches to have a lot of input. And then in the spring seasons, I really give them the opportunity to kind of be the be the face out there in front of the team um, so that they gain that experience and have that opportunity to go and play uh, and coach at, I'm sorry, go and coach at a, another institution. Uh, but at the same point in time, it's very difficult when you face some of your former players and, you know, some of your former assistant coaches that are now head coaches at other institutions. And, um, you know, it's uh, it, it, it's nice that uh, all the times I've done that, I've only lost to one <laughs> once. And Who was it? I was uh, Coach Payne up at uh, Assumption. But okay. he's just left Assumption to go to Hiram College in, in Ohio. But um, so it's difficult because... You want to win, but you feel bad for them. Right. And then when they beat you, you're really upset and angry with them, <laughs> and you really don't want to talk to them. So um, so it is a double-edged sword. But ultimately, at the end of the day, uh, I take great pride and great pleasure in, in seeing some of my former players and some of my former assistants go off and have successful coaching careers. So correct me if I'm wrong. We have had three head men's soccer coaches in the history of Southern soccer. Is that right? That's correct. 
So Coach DeCranian uh, was the father of men's soccer, the founding father of men's soccer at Southern Connecticut. And then Coach Reed, what is your relationship like with them, with uh, Coach DeCranian and Coach Reed? Yeah, no, it's, it's strong. I mean, I've known Bob DeCranian since uh, way back. Um, he and I have had a, a great relationship. And then uh, Coach Reed and I go back to when he was in high school. Uh, I, I had him at camp. Uh, he came into camp one summer and he was on my my camp team. Um, so that's how far back we go. But, you know, I keep in touch with uh, with both of them on a regular basis and talk about the program and just kind of talk about things. And um, I couldn't ask for two better people to, to, to be affiliated with uh, in the coaching uh, community. So, Coach, after you played at Adelphi, you had a professional playing career. So how does that work? You know, do you get a phone call? Is there a draft? How does that work? Yeah, back in the day, um, they had a draft of, it was a draft. of college players. So, um, yeah, so I was fortunate to get drafted by the uh, the New York Cosmos and uh, went and played with them uh, one year. Never was fortunate enough to make the first team, but played with their reserve team. And they were really the first team at that particular point in time in the late 70s to uh, develop a reserve team. And we would go around and play local amateur men's teams in and around the New York, New Jersey area, Connecticut as well. And uh, we played like 80 games. So it was, oh, wow. it was great. I had a wonderful experience doing that. And then I uh, had the chance to uh, go in my second year out to Colorado. They were starting a new franchise there. So I went out there and uh, then that franchise moved to Atlanta and went down to Atlanta, played there. And I guess nobody really wanted to keep me around on the team very long because the following year I went to the New Jersey Americans in a different league. So, um, you know, four years, four different teams. And I was not a problem in the locker room. You know? So that might really just tell you a little bit about my overall ability. But uh, it was a wonderful experience. It's something that I still treasure to, to look back on and think about. Um, you know, I was young and made some mistakes back in those days and wasn't probably the best pro in terms of my be behavior and how I went about doing things, but uh, still taught me some very valuable lessons and still to this day is, is something that I look back on fondly. So, so I have two questions about your professional career. The first question is, um, in Colorado, you guys wore um, a pretty unique uniform. Um, and for our listeners out there, if you can get a chance to, to look up these uniforms, they had tassels um, hanging from the front of their uniforms. And I, I also think I've heard you tell the story, too, with, on the last podcast, but you and I have talked about this previously. You guys had to wear cowboy hats to travel in? Is that true? Yeah, yeah. So the, uh, the gentleman... I mean, as an equipment manager, I'm curious about this. I'm just... Yeah, the... Uh, it was an interesting uh, scenario. You know, being a new team, you needed to kind of... Catch the public's attention, and uh, you know the Broncos were king out in Denver uh, at that time. So um, the gentleman that was one of the co-owners of the team was a fellow by the name of Jim Garcia, and he had a ranch up in the mountains of Colorado called the Carib uh, yeah Caribou Ranch. And actually, Elton John's album Caribou, if you look it up, was recorded up at this ranch. So interesting. He brought in a company to give a Western theme to the whole team and everything. So they came up with the, a uniform, I think, that's later been described as one of the top 10 worst professional sports uniforms in history, uh, where it had tassels uh, going around the front. It was skin tight, which <laughs> didn't do a lot for. Uh, you know, my, my public appeal, that's for sure. 
um, but uh, yeah, it was it was it was nuts. And so we went to go travel on our very first game uh, out to Seattle and play in Seattle. And part of our traveling gear, they gave us this beautiful silk jacket that was embroidered on the back of the a caribou in front of the you know the, the mountains out there. And then uh, they gave us these cowboy hats to wear. And uh, so we had to wear them through the airport. These big ten gallon <laughs> cowboy hats and. When we got on the plane, we were kind of taking a little, small little plane from Denver out to Seattle, and uh, the hats were too big to fit in the overhead compartment. <laughs> so we, we had to sit there the whole flight with the hats on our lap, uh, which was, uh, again, one of those stories that you just always remember right. and look back on fondly, but at the time was, was a little bit embarrassing. Yeah. And then my next question is, and I'm, I'm not laughing about this one, I'm just thinking about you guys having the hats on your lap, but... Um, for our listeners, which they're going to find very interesting, is um, Pelé. He had the pleasure of playing with me. Teammate. Yes, that's yeah. right. Yeah, that he true? had the pleasure of playing with me. That's right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's true. Um, what was uh, that like? Well, that was just uh, indescribable because, you know, obviously growing up and, and playing in the 60s and 70s, he was easily the best player in the world. And when I got to the Cosmos in 77, he had gotten there the year before in 76 and um you know to to get a chance to step on the same field and compete with him on a day in and day out basis uh, in practice and in training being around him in the locker room you know it was unbelievable it was an unbelievable time and uh you know you'd, you'd go to games and like i said i never had the good fortune of playing with the first team except in practice which is a story for another day but you know you go in the locker room after games and you know all of a sudden henry kissinger is in there Muhammad Ali comes walking in, Mick Jagger. Um, <laughs> you know, it was just, it was surreal. Right. And uh, just a, an, an unbelievable experience. And then, you know, after games going into New York and go to Studio 54, which at that time was like the place to be and not have to wait online and get in. You know, I was happy to carry his bags in there. I mean, it was it was no problem. I, you know, yeah, I'll take him. Yes, anything that you want. And uh, so again, just added to some memorable experiences being around and playing professionally at that time. That's awesome. Yeah. So, I want to uh, hear the story again. I know we've already heard it, but the listeners haven't story, heard the story, the practice story. Oh, uh, the practice story with Pelé. Yeah. So, like I said, uh, you know, I wasn't fortunate enough to play with the first team, but. Uh, played all these games with the reserve team and then in training one day we uh we had an opportunity to play a full inter-squad game 11 v 11 and they just brought a a, a player in from canada named bobby arushi and so what they did was they put him right in with the first team right away as a left fullback which was huh. the position that i played so the guy who was playing for the first team got dropped to the second team and so consequently i got removed and put onto the sideline during this inter-squad game. So about 10 minutes into the game, uh, Bobby Arushi gets hurt. So, you know, I start warming up, automatically thinking I'm going to go into the second team yeah. and they'll move the regular first team fullback back up there to the first team. But uh, they didn't. They put me into play with the first team. So it was uh, a little nerve-wracking, uh, yeah. even though it was just training and practice but uh so there was a goal kick and uh, the goal kick was taken by Shep Messing and Shep Messing took the goal kick and he played it to uh, Franz Beckenbauer who again was one of the best players in the world at that time 
So Beckenbauer gets the ball and he plays it to me. So I complete, you know, completely make a mess of myself and, <laughs> and play the ball right back to Beckenbauer, you know. And so he dribbles up the field a little bit, plays it back to me. So now I get the ball and I'm getting closed down. I'm under pressure and I'm playing the left fullback position, which is right against the, the sideline. And so I hit a ball with the outside of my right foot. Mm-hmm. which is an amazing skill if you've ever had the, <laughs> yeah, no. the opportunity to really, yeah, yeah. So I hit this ball with my right foot and it, it bends and it curls down and it drops right over the shoulder of Pelé. Pelé picks up the ball, gets it, picks his head up, crosses the ball to Giorgio Canalia. Again, another one of the you know better players in the world at that time playing with the Cosmos. And he comes and runs in, puts it in the goal. So... As I like to tell the story, the, the play goes from Messing to Beckenbauer to Lang to Beckenbauer to Lang to Pelay to Canalia, goal. Goal. And, uh, Love it. Yeah, so even though it was only practice, it was, um, it was one of my most memorable moments uh, playing at the professional level, something I'll never forget. And again, it was just practice, but to be part of that whole sequence was just unbelievable. And... You know, and then after that, I'm feeling really confident and I'm feeling really good about myself. And now I'm starting to join in the attack and get forward. And, uh, you know, so I, I make a run forward later on in, in the game and, and the ball gets played out to me and I get it and bring it under control and I cut inside and I look up and there's the goal in front of me and I shoot and hit the ball as hard as I can. And it goes all the way out for, hits the corner flag and goes out for a goal <laughs> kick. So I completely missed the goal and shanked it by about 50 yards and it went out wide. And I'm running back and I'm like mortified and I'm just like so down on myself. Like what an idiot I am, you know, what am I doing, you know? <laughs> and then all of a sudden Pelé is running next to me and he goes, Tommy, it's okay. It's all right. Just play. That's yeah. awesome. And I'm like running and I'm going. Oh my God, he knows my name. You know? So I was just, uh, again, that one day in practice is just one of those memories that'll just stay with me forever. That's awesome. I love that story. I've heard it twice now. I'm uh, glad the listeners got to hear it. Yeah, well, I'm glad they did too because, you know, the first time when I told that story, something got messed up with the files here, and I don't know what happened. You know, I'm not that I'm commenting about the, the, the quality of the I screwed board it up. Board. I screwed <laughs> it up, right? I, I already said I would wear I this. I thought it was the memory disc. I, whatever. Oh, <laughs> if we need man. to assign blame to, to move past it, we'll assign blame and move past Well, hopefully it works this time because I'm not oh, telling so it too. anymore. I hope so, too. I don't know if I can come back in the office if this doesn't work this time. What's your favorite part about football? And when I say football, I mean soccer. What's your favorite part? Now as a coach? Yeah. Uh, just dealing with the kids, being around the kids, you know, that interaction on a daily basis. You know, sometimes it can get really annoying. I'm not going to lie. But, you know, you, you take a step back and you realize that they're kids and that you're helping to work with them to get them to get a greater appreciation for the game, to push them, to challenge themselves, to find ways to make themselves better. So for me, I still get a great deal of joy out of that. And there's nothing that beats competition. There's nothing like going out on the field and playing and seeing these kids play and compete and and winning games. I mean, that's, as a coach, what you live for, and that's, as an athlete, what you live for. So those are the things that keep me driving, going forward, uh, even at this late stage in my career. 
what are the challenges this year with COVID with your team? And I mean, I know there's a lot of them, so we, we can probably yeah. talk about it for, for hours, but well, as a coach, I mean, you never expected this to happen. What have been your biggest challenges you think? Yeah, no, uh, obviously it's, uh, it's something that you're unprepared for. It's just one of those things that you learn that you have to just adapt and you have to just find ways to, to get through it. And, there's logistical challenges of kids not coming back because they've decided to opt out and, and not be a part of things. And so your numbers are somewhat limited, uh, getting opportunities to get games and those types of things are always, uh, always a challenge, but, um, you know, the challenge and, and yet it's also, um, something that you, you, you kind of really look forward to kind of sinking your teeth into is that each and every day now is a little bit different because mm-hmm. the challenge is a little bit different. It's something you've never faced before. So how do you deal with it? How do you overcome it? How do you not allow any setbacks along the way to stop you from your vision and your goal of moving things forward? So, um, you know, like I, I, I love a challenge. So it's been challenging. It's been different, something I've never gone through in my 40 plus years of coaching at the college level. And while there's certain frustrations to that, undoubtedly, um, there's still that challenge of keeping guys motivated and finding ways to to keep them engaged in a part of things and, you know, preparing for the fall season. Hopefully by the fall, there'll be somewhat more of a sense of normalcy about things and we'll be back to uh, an environment where we can have everybody together. And um, hopefully we've laid the groundwork here with those that are around uh, that'll help us uh, be successful come the fall. That's awesome. So I think we've talked about a lot of serious things. I think we should get into the best segment that we have here on the podcast on All or Nothing. Is that me being on by myself? (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm just curious. I'm just asking the question. Have you listened to the podcast well, any I couldn't podcasts. because the uh, the file was any corrupted. of the previous podcasts with any uh, of the other. No, to be honest, guests. I I I have not listened. Okay. I have to be honest. Okay, I appreciate so your honesty. Most you you don't know. Most people tune in to listen to me. It's not it's not you that they're here for. They're here to listen to me talk to our Ken. Well, because Psy. you know, because equipment management can be so engaging. <laughs> All right, let's get onto the segment. Let's get out of this. So this is just going to rapid fire. Get getting to know you round. So first thing that comes to your mind. Favorite movie? Uh, Shawshank Redemption. Morgan Freeman, that's a good one, Coach. Great Great answer. What's your favorite TV show? Favorite TV show? Uh, I don't know. I watch a little different types of TV. Used to be, used to be uh, Seinfeld. Years ago, a few years ago, I was a big Seinfeld fan. Me too. I'm pretty sure that's a different answer than the first time. I think you said Cheers the first time. Yeah, well, you know, they were close. Those are both classic. They were close. I'm a big Seinfeld guy. But, you know, it's like, who do you like better? Do you like Coach better on Cheers, or do you like Kramer better on Seinfeld? It's a toss-up. It's a win-win situation. And you know what? I've had time to think about this in the, you know, since the last <laughs> podcast was screwed up uh, about changing my answers because you caught me off guard with some of these things last I time. I know this one's going to stay the same. No. It's your favorite professional football club. Yes, it will. Oh, well, that one's a simple one. You're talking about... No, no, not American football. That's I'm talking right. about football. That's right, because the last time I thought you were talking about American football, and I said the New York Jets. Yes. And why anyone would want to be a Jets fan is beyond me, but I am, unfortunately, a diehard New York Jets fan. But my favorite soccer team, to use the American version uh, of your question, is uh, Everton Football Club in England. Uh, you know, they're the team that uh, goes by the name of... 
E-V-E-R-T, you know, and then the greatest team in all the land, the famous Everton. That'll never get old hearing you sing that no. song. Yeah. That's beautiful. You should hear my grandson sing it now. <laughs> he gets up on Saturday mornings and he'll watch the game and he'll have his little Everton outfit on and he'll sing the song while we watch on TV. That's awesome. That's got to make you proud. That's awesome. Yeah. It's, things uh, like that, you know. Yeah, things like that that you live for these days. Yeah. Who's your, uh, your favorite athlete that inspired you growing up? Uh, you know, Pelé, obviously, but for me personally, it was a gentleman by the name of Alan Ball who used to play for Everton back in the day, played on the 1966 England World Cup winning team. And he was a player that, uh, that, that you know, for me, encompassed everything uh, that, was, that was good about the sport at that time. He was competitive, hardworking, technical, you know, and had a great mind for the game and great passion for playing. Okay. What's uh, one thing off your bucket list that you haven't done yet? I haven't played golf at St. Andrews. That's, That's one of a great my answer. things that I would love to do. Um, you know, or even just down the road here in Shelton, there's a place that I know somebody belongs to that I've had the good fortune of playing there once or twice, but I would love to play there a lot more because it doesn't cost me anything, hopefully. We'll have to talk to that guy and see if we can make it happen for you. I know a guy that knows a guy, so maybe we can make that work out right, for let's you. Ho- let's hope so. But St. Andrews playing golf there would be a big, big, big thrill. If you could have one food for the rest of your life, what would it be? Uh, scotch pies. Now, you don't know what a scotch pie is. so Yeah, let the listeners know. Well, scotch pie is something. It's a little round pie with uh, pastry kind of on top that you bake in the oven. It's stuffed with sometimes pork or sometimes stuffed with uh, other types of meat, lamb, or something of that nature there. And you put it in, you bake it, and it comes out. It's a little round thing, and um, it's tasty, and it's got a little spice to it, and, and uh, it's great. It's, Sounds delicious. It, you would like it. It's a... Uh, you know, it's a, a blue-collar meal. Yeah. If you could be one animal, what would you be? Um, I think I'd be a wolf. I have no explanation as to why I would want to be a wolf, but it just is the first thing that came to my mind. All right, right. that's how it's supposed to be, first thought. Yeah. Wolves are cool. Yeah. yeah. Wolves are cool. If you're shooting a PK, where are you going with the shot? Uh, upper right-hand corner, goalkeeper's left. Thank you. Okay. On our favorite question... You're having a dinner party of four people. They can be dead or alive. Who are you inviting? Well, I know what my answer was the last time, and I've thought about this. And then I forgot what my answer was going to be <laughs> when you asked me the question this time. So I think that I would have Pelé would be at dinner. Okay. Um, so it's four other people and me, or am I one of the four? No, four other people and you, so party of five. Party of five. So I would have Pelé uh, there. Um, I think Winston Churchill, I would like to ha- have him come because I'd like to get his view on history and what went on during the Second World War and everything, mm-hmm. and plus the fact that he smokes cigars. Um, so he, he would be there. Carlo Ancelotti, who's the current manager of Everton Football Club, and he's been very, very successful um, at different professional soccer clubs mm-hmm. and won European championships and... Uh, so I'd be really interested in his take on the current Everton team. And plus, he's Italian. He would bring some wine so that we would have some wine. <laughs> some good dinner. food, too, yeah. Yeah, food. Uh, there'd be all kinds of things there. So you got one more. Uh, one more. You know, that's, that's a toss-up. I'll be, I would be taking favorites to, to see who would want to grace the table with me. So this person that knows this person that could potentially get me onto this golf course down... <laughs> 
in the Shelton area down around there. Uh, he might be a candidate. Okay. Or uh, it could be my former boss, Jay Moran. But the problem with Jay Moran is if I bring him, he only talks about himself. <laughs> so we no one else would get a word in. So I think that last person I would have to bring my, my dear friend here, Mr. Mr. Christopher Lindens. I was nervous. I made it the first time. I'm thinking to myself, what if I didn't make it this time? Well, maybe what would have been the reason behind it, you know? Two for two. That's good to know. So, well, Coach, first been awesome. Hall of Famer, thank you for joining us. Well, I hope you're on the selection committee when that, that vote comes around because uh, I don't you think, might be the only one that feels that way. I don't think so, Coach. First Bell Hall of Famer. I Period. Agree. Stop. We'll, we'll see. I, I, I agree. Yeah. It make me very proud to be uh, part of the Hall of Fame here at Southern. Someday, maybe. First you, ballot. You will be. This is awesome. This was great. Got yeah. to hang out with uh, one of my good friends. Coach Tom Lang, my other good friends, Jay and Ken. This has been awesome. Ken, Ken took a lot of heat today. I will say. It's fine. It's you do, fine. You do it's, an awesome job with it's this. It's all good. It's, it's a lot good. of work, and we've done a lot of these podcasts. We've had no issues, and uh, you do a tremendous job. Well, well thanks thank, again, Coach. Thanks so much. So, All or Nothing podcast, every Tuesday and Friday. Make sure you guys are listening. All or Nothing out. Rate, subscribe, review. Awesome. What a great interview. Again. Again. Great interview again.